The world we live in now moves faster than it ever has. Planet Earth may spin at the same speed, but we do not. How we work, how we keep in contact, how we buy and sell, how we live, everything is connected. From the dawn of the internet to the invention of smartphones, the roles computers play in our lives are vastly different to just 30 years ago. Could we ever have imagined our ability to use them or not use them being the difference between life and death? And that in the wrong hands, this new digital world could give criminals the opportunity to change everything at the flick of a switch. I'm Adrian Lester. Welcome to True Cybercrime Stories. In this series, I'll be bringing to life the stories of some of the biggest cybercrimes to hit headlines in recent history. We'll hear about victims and perpetrators, heroes and villains, and discover how governments, businesses, and their people have battled, thwarted, and learned from these cyber threats. This first episode is about a much-loved national institution coming under attack. I remember thinking, this is bad. This could be a drawn-out, long-term event, which could put us back into the Stone Age. And how this story's hero has a checkered past, which catches up with him. It's Friday, the 12th of May. The year is 2017. Britain awakens. Another day shift begins at the National Health Service, Britain's beloved beacon of pride. The corridors of the NHS are a hive of human activity, with the ever-present background hum of technology. Ahead of their morning rounds, doctors scroll through their patient lists, noting updates from the night shift. Nurses check bedside monitors. Receptionists sign in patients ahead of crucial appointments. In the maternity ward, a young couple gaze with wonder at their newborn as they proudly video call their family at home. In a quiet corner, a computer chimes. Just another note in the daily symphony of incoming emails. But behind that innocent ping hides a looming threat. In May 2017, I showed up for work as a locum consultant. And I remember, as I always do, I tend to pitch up to work at least half an hour early so I can work out what the coffee machine is and where to put my stuff, work out how I would fit into the department. This is Dr. Tony Bleatman. He's a consultant in emergency medicine. When I walked into the consultant's office, which houses about eight consultants, each with their own desk, something was obviously going on. Machines that hold vital information like a patient's history and their medication begin to rebel. Outside, the world remains oblivious. But inside, the realization dawns. The NHS, Britain's caregiver, is under siege. The very computers that underpin our beloved institution, crucial to patient safety, are paralyzed. 
screens darken and are replaced with this chilling message. Oops, your files have been encrypted. Maybe you are busy looking for a way to recover your files, but do not waste your time. Nobody can recover your files without our decryption service. It's a cyber attack, and a ransom is being demanded to unlock them. How do I pay? Payment is accepted in Bitcoin only. For more information, click About Bitcoin. They wanted $300 for each computer affected. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of computers in the NHS. I remember thinking, this is bad, and I think the initial press coverage indicated that this could go on for a very long time or until the ransom was paid and who was going to pay it. Would they do it again? And would they really put us back online if they got paid? We strongly recommend you to not remove this software and disable your antivirus for a while until you pay and the payment gets processed. If your antivirus gets updated and removes this software automatically, it will not be able to recover your files even if you pay. It caused, among all the doctors, a significant amount of anxiety. For a few minutes, we were completely lost as to how we were going to manage those patients and complete that shift and keep delivering medical care. In intensive care units, machines struggle to access central data. While primary medical devices function, interconnected systems freeze. Ambulances are rerouted. Medical professionals, cut off from digital records, turn to pen and paper. Surgeries and crucial procedures like MRI and CT scans are delayed. You suddenly have no idea of who's in the department, what stage of treatment they're at, have investigations been ordered, have they been sent, have they been reported upon, have we requested CT scans, have we tried to look at their GP records, have we tried to generate prescriptions or generate discharge letters, all of that is suddenly gone and we are left with a very busy emergency department full of patients already inside, a lot of patients waiting to get inside and we have no idea who they are, we've no idea what's wrong with them, and we've no idea who's looking after them. Within minutes, a question arises. Who's to blame? And as the corridor whispers grow louder, a name emerges, the very source of this chaos. WannaCry. A ransomware, not content with merely demanding money, but holding the health and lives of countless individuals in its cold, digital grip. The NHS isn't just battling a technical bug. It's now at the epicenter of a global crisis. But this crisis has been years in the making. The previous summer, an anonymous hacking group called the Shadow Brokers had begun leaking code it had stolen from the NSA, America's National Intelligence Agency, making highly sensitive hacking tools available to anyone and everyone. A month before the WannaCry virus spread across the world, they'd released a particular bit of code, or exploit, called Eternal Blue. Now, Eternal Blue gave hackers a way into computers running Microsoft software like Windows XP and Windows 7. Microsoft had actually become aware of this vulnerability, and a month before Eternal Blue became public, released a fix to protect computers using those operating systems. In the months leading up to the attack, 
NHS Digital had issued warning telling NHS trusts to install that exact fix by running an update. But as it would later be discovered, only two-thirds of NHS trusts managed to do so in time. After all, how often do we all put off doing that update? Let's get into the finer details of WannaCry. It's a virus known as a ransomware worm. It travels from machine to machine, working quietly in the background to breach a computer's operating system before restarting it and encrypting important files on its hard drive, and then asking for payment to release them. It can have catastrophic implications on computer networks in big organizations. And the NHS is one such organization. The stakes are unimaginable. The very pulse of the NHS and thousands of lives hang in a delicate balance. The screens flicker with malicious intent as the ransomware's digital stranglehold tightens. We guarantee that you can recover all your files safely and easily, but you don't have very much time. My personal feeling was this could be a drawn-out long-term event which could put us back into the Stone Age in terms of medicine across the country. By mid-afternoon that day, things look grim. But in a surprising twist, a beacon of hope emerges. And it isn't a high-ranking cyber official or a decorated tech guru. It's a young guy, barely into his 20s, by the name of Marcus Hutchins. Hailing from a cattle farm in rural Devon, Marcus has a reputation not for milking cows, but for his unparalleled skills with codes and computers. While his peers immerse themselves in youthful pursuits, Marcus is often buried deep in cyberspace, learning the intricacies of malware. A self-taught whiz, he's been observing and dissecting viruses since his early teens. At 2.30 p.m. on the 12th of May, Marcus sits down at his computer to discover that the internet is ablaze trying to grapple with the WannaCry virus. A moment later, a hacker friend sends him a copy of WannaCry's code, and he gets to work. For him, this isn't just lines of code. It's a maze that he is determined to navigate. He quickly notices that before the virus starts its nefarious purposes, it checks into a website, one whose address is a fairly long string of numbers and letters with no discernible meaning, almost like a Wi-Fi password. Marcus immediately copies the address into his browser, and it returns an important piece of information. This website doesn't exist. He buys the domain for a modest sum of less than $11, either hoping to slow the virus down by wrestling away some control, or even just to understand the scale of the infection. As Marcus explores further, it quickly becomes clear that it's not just the NHS that is under attack. This virus has gone global. 
But within a few hours, it turns out that even though the malware is still able to spread onto new servers and computers across the world, this incredibly simple act of buying the website has stopped the worm from being able to encrypt the valuable information stored on them. Marcus has inadvertently created a kill switch. Like a mechanism that you'd usually find on an engine or large power tool that stops a machine in its tracks. In this case, he's created a kill switch that stops software. The virus code has an inbuilt check that says if the website exists, stop all operations, don't encrypt, don't onward infect, just stop. And Marcus has created this kill switch without even really meaning to. He realizes the significance of this breakthrough, but it's too early to celebrate victory. The virus is still connecting new computers across the world to this website, even if it isn't causing them damage. Over the next week, he'll have to fight a battle to prevent the domain he's just purchased from becoming overwhelmed and collapsing. Marcus must find enough server space to accommodate hundreds of thousands of new infections. And amazingly enough, despite the hairy circumstances, it holds. Marcus won WannaCry nil. Over the next week in hospitals across the UK, dark screens start to blink to life. Monitors that had gone blank now show important health data once again. As the hospital's pulse normalizes, so do its systems. Nurses and doctors who've been navigating the digital blackout finally refocus on routine care. Waiting families begin to hear the updates they've been holding their breath for. A collective sigh of relief echoes through the wards. But I was at work the following day when things were recovering. The IT systems were back online, but there were big gaps. The correct decision was taken that we had a duty of care to the patients that had been seen during the cyber attack to make sure that important clinical data was captured by the IT system. That's why we spent the next couple of weeks sitting by a computer, writing up patients' notes, and just making sure that we could do the best we could. And Marcus Hutchins? He's hailed as a hero in the press and cybersecurity circles. But in this world, being seen as a hero or a villain is just a choice apart. In a surprising twist, he's arrested later that summer in the US for his past connection to the Kronos banking trojan. A software crafted to infiltrate computers and pilfer bank details, he spared a lengthy prison sentence after pleading guilty, with the judge praising him for turning a corner. After his sentencing, Hutchins writes in a blog post, I've pleaded guilty to two charges related to writing malware in the years prior to my career in security. I regret these actions and accept full responsibility for my mistakes. Having grown up, I've since been using the same skills that I misused several years ago for constructive purposes. I will continue to devote my time to keeping people safe from malware attacks.
The attack, meanwhile, exposes the vulnerabilities that our public services face. In total, over 80 hospital trusts and many GP practices were affected. It catalyzes an urgent shift towards robust cybersecurity and modern IT infrastructure in the NHS. Within a year, the government's Department of Health and Social Care spends over £60 million on improvements and agrees a further £150 million over the next three years. There are likely to be more cyber attacks in the future. And as people who conduct these attacks become cleverer and more experienced, the complexity of these attacks is likely to be significantly greater. We are probably in an ongoing battle of improving our defences against improving ways of attack. It's a bit like an arms race. We get better at defending, the bad guys get better at producing more potent malware and similar. WannaCry was a seismic shift to the NHS. Over a third of trusts were impacted, cancelling an estimated 19,000 appointments over seven days. The financial blow reached £92 million. £19 million during the attack and £73 million in aftermath expenses. Yet in some ways the NHS had dodged a bullet. The discovery of a kill switch on the day of the attack had played an important role in limiting the threat and impact of the virus on the health service. By all accounts, the costs could have been substantially higher. In the end, WannaCry ended up affecting computer systems in over 150 countries, estimated to have caused $4 billion in losses across the globe. The perpetrators of the attack? In 2018, the United States Justice Department charged a North Korean spy with perpetrating the attacks. North Korea denies any involvement, and perhaps we'll never really know the truth. It's not the only cyber incident to hit the healthcare world in recent times. Across the Irish Sea, just a few years later in 2021, Ireland experiences a chilling echo of the NHS ordeal. Imagine the scene. The health service executive, Ireland's central healthcare system, sees its screens darken, its machines rebel, and that all too familiar term Ransomware, once again crippling another nation's healthcare. Files lock, systems are compromised, treatments delayed. The attacker's name might be different. This time the ransomware is called Conti. But the objectives are eerily similar. Encrypt, paralyze and extort. Ireland, like the UK before it, unites against the cyber menace. Refusing to pay a ransom, the country fights back to keep its healthcare running and overcome the digital chaos. The stories of both the NHS and the health service executive compel us to recognize how technology and humanity, at its more vulnerable, are intertwined. The intricacies of this digital age highlight the dire consequences of a single oversight, a missed update. Our collective responsibility? 
to prioritize and bolster cybersecurity and to never underestimate the power of vigilance in an era where digital errors can potentially have life-altering repercussions. In our next episode of True Cybercrime Stories, I'll be telling the story of how the accounts of some of the biggest names on X, formerly Twitter, were hijacked to promote a Bitcoin scam, and be asking just how secure is our presence online? True Cybercrime Stories is brought to you by BT, because BT means business. It's presented by me, Adrian Lester, and featured Dr. Tony Bleatman. This series is brought to you by Audi. The producers are Yolen Goffin, Phil Brown, and Ivor Manley. Scripting is by Shanti Midnight. Additional research by Holly Aquilina. The executive producers are Harry Watson and Sally Miller. True Cybercrime Stories reimagines real events based on primary sources and publicly available news reports. No responsibility or liability is assumed for any errors or omissions. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are their own. Thank you.